About six months ago, this series really started to stir in me, and uh, the realization for it to be successful was that it needed to marinate a little bit, and there also needed to be some strategy within the uh, kind of the systems of our church as well. But it's, it's born out of just this idea of, of people getting free. Now, it won't connect with you maybe right away. Some of you, or you think you know what it is, but you really don't. But um, I think there are a lot of people who, when we talk about freedom in Christ, don't get it. And then I think there's a lot of people who think they do get it, but they don't have it. And so fundamentally, freedom eludes us. And in our journey as a Christ follower, as a believer, uh, uh, somebody in hopefully pursuit of God, not in stagnation uh, or just kind of just treading water with God, this process that we go through, sometimes people get stuck. And my experience as a pastor is that a lot of people, they... They know God, you know, they, they've got the fire insurance, so to speak. They, they have some theology, some basic theology. Uh, there's a certain confidence that if they, you know, went from this life to the next, where they go, there's the, but in this life, the here and now, they're stuck. We're not finding meaning and purpose. We don't know why we were created. We, we were born, but we don't know why uh, we were born, and so I think uh, a lot of people want it, but they don't have it. Some people don't know what it looks like. And so I want to try to create a picture with words and illustration of what freedom is. So you want to engage in this series more, and you want to engage more importantly in the process of freedom. Is everybody with me? Because you're not meant to just exist. Or I like to say take up space and abuse, suck air and abuse God's grace. We're called to matter to make a difference, to do something in this world. We're not called to just, you know, if you know you're free, you don't drift, you're focused. If you know you're free, you're not just breathing air. You're exhaling it on the world around you, and it's, and it's not hallelujah halitosis, as I like to say. It's not hurting people. It's helping people. Can you smile at me once in a while? Is everybody okay out there? Okay. And so, but I think people need a picture of it. And so, I'm going to give you a clip from a movie, one of my favorite top five movies of all time. As soon as you see the clip, uh, you'll know what it is, too. It's that, it's that well known. But there's this, this clip depicts something that I think is inside all, as my wife say, all y'all. It's inside all of us that God put in there where when we are restricted, when we are oppressed, when, we are, when there is resistance, when there is on a global level tyranny or slavery or some uh, uh, you know, evil in the world, we oftentimes want to rise to some cause, rise to uh, fight or overcome some of these problems in our lives, but Many don't. Many won't. They feel it. They know there's something to it. We get the pump, and then it goes away. And sometimes, somehow, the thing that God put in there, that desire that he put in there to, to, to overcome, to, to, to push through, uh, to break away, or whatever it is, it's sometimes masked by uh, self-protection. It's, it's defeated by fear. It's it's, um, it's diminished sometimes because of, uh, of sin or, or some kind of uh, addictive behavior or some kind of distraction in this earth or, or something else that we can't even describe or understand. And 
this particular man challenges his kinsmen, his people, to seize an opportunity to embrace real life and live as free men. Check this clip out. I think you know what I mean in a second. You've come to fight as free men. And free men you are. What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Right? Against that? No! We will run! And we will live! Alright? Fight and you may die. Run and you'll live. At least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! I watch this clip, I, I, I kind of get my blood starts to boil, testosterone starts to rise up inside of me. I, I need to punch something, push something, do something, you know? And, and, and I remember the second or third time I watched this movie out of the 25, I probably watched it, you know, I, I'm by myself and I'm like yelling freedom and, you know, and practicing this speech, I could do it by heart. But my challenge to you is similar to the challenge that he presents to his kinsmen. He basically is saying in so many words, freedom is in your grasp. Can't you see it? In other words, I think God is looking down from heaven and he sees right in front of us, freedom is right under your nose, but you won't capture it, apprehend it, grasp it, sometimes don't even see it because you see something else. See, William Wallace saw, saw freedom in front of him. And he saw a problem, he saw obstacles, he saw a challenge, yes, but he saw the other side. He saw over, or we could say through that situation, to a new reality or a new, a new circumstance. And what happens a lot of times is our freedom, because it has to be apprehended, is mishandled. We don't do anything with the opportunities that are presented to us. Is everybody with me? We need a picture of it sometimes to be motivated for it. And so here's a goal or objective. It'll come up on the screen. My goal in this series is fundamentally to get you to see. That means become aware of what freedom is and that you can have it. Uh, it's also to accept or to embrace the truth about your freedom. That it's been purchased for you. That you, uh, you were ransomed. You were bought with a price by Jesus. He already overcame. I don't know about you, but years ago when I, I took lifeguard, you know, saving, life-saving training guard, whatever you call that thing, I became, I was certified to become a lifeguard. I never saved anybody in the water, but I was trained to do so. And I can remember we had one of the things we would do just for fun is all the people to show off their fearlessness and their freedom was to go off this high dive. And I was petrified of heights. My wife will tell you to this day, I, I still, I will face those things, but I still don't like them. Anybody know what I'm talking about right now, okay? The important thing is you face them. Doesn't mean you're always going to like them. But anyway, I can remember uh, things changed when the first guy went. 
Because once I saw him go, I realized he didn't die. I think I have a chance of living, right? And so you have in your Savior somebody who went first in all points, in all situations, in all circumstances, and overcame. And so there's an encouragement but we have to accept that word for ourselves. So you have to see, become aware, accept, embrace the truth, apprehend that. The Bible says, for which you've been apprehended. So he gave you something, but you got to go get it. It's, it's over there. You, he's not going to necessarily just bring it to you, put it into your lap, make it work in your life. You have to go after your freedom. And, and William Wallace, and more importantly, Jesus Christ, showed us how to do that. And then where, where, I, where I'm at in a measure right now, and please don't take this as uh, uh, pride, because there's so many areas that I'm not free, but there's a certain freedom that has been obtained in my life during my sabbatical. Now I'm praying that I can maintain what I've obtained. And so a lot of times we get something that's real only to plummet right after that. You have a mountaintop experience, and only like Elijah later, you think you're the only prophet in all of Israel, and you want to die. So this is what this series is about. Is everybody tracking with me right now? Turn to your neighbor and say, this is going to be good. I believe it. I believe it. I accept it. Okay. So we're going to talk about some, some in the coming weeks, some kind of secrets to freedom, some secret weapons to freedom. I'll introduce one of those weapons today. But I was watching the news, and I have been unplugged. Like, I didn't realize how, I, I, I'm more sensitive now to things because I was, I was, I was unplugged. So I went back watching the news, and it, and it affected me, which was kind of good and bad. Like, I realized, you know, there, there, there was, there was a, a sort of callous and a desensitizing that had taken place over a long time. So I'm watching uh, the news, uh, CNN, otherwise known as Constant Negative News. <laughs> That's what I call it. And it is proliferating its, you know, worldview, and its primary objective is to fundamentally deliver news, or I would like to say bad news. I mean, it is just escalating year after year after year after year. It seems like month after month, more and more bad news. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And it produces, or it... Uh, uh, um, the volume of it, a certain hopelessness and helplessness. Um, we're, we're at a day now where you can hear about more problems than you ever heard in your entire life 24-7 at, you know, your fingertips. You can hear about, you know, something that's happening on, you know, uh, 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 you know in, in politics all the way to mosquitoes in Ashland. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's just right there, right in front of you. And it can make you feel hopeless and fearful. We're afraid. Hurricanes and mosquitoes, it's, that's our world right today. Yet today, via the conduit of God's word, and I'm so proud of you for being in church today, I've come to share with you some good news. How many want some good news, everybody? How many want some great news? Okay? Because we're hearing so much constant negative news, I think we need some good news. So look in your, look in your notes in uh, John chapter 1, verse 29. John the Baptist said, he said he saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said this profound words. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is more significant than we realize. Uh, John the Beloved, another John, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, and this is really our key text, he said this, he said, and they, this is talking about believers, overcame him, that's talking about Satan, our enemy, our adversary, by the blood of the lamb. 
and the word of our testimony, and they love not their lives uh, unto death. So these, this, this Lamb of God came to take away the, the, the sins of the world, paid for uh, the penalty of our sin, but the Lamb of God or the blood from that Lamb does something for us we'll talk about a little bit more, but it enables us to be what the Bible uses as a term that we should become familiar with as Christians and embrace even more importantly, and that is it uses the term overcomers. Now, sometimes this is not taught or taught enough. We're called as Christ followers on earth not to just wait till he comes back, you know, just hang on, just tolerate, just pray in corners, us four no more. No, we're called to overcome. That means when there's a problem, we have to come over it. We don't get swallowed up by it. We're not drowned underneath it. We go over problems. Can I have an amen out there? And so this word overcomer, I want you to grab a hold of. And so the great news is that Jesus, the Lamb of God, gave us the power vertically but also horizontally to be overcomers. Jesus, the Lamb of God, wanted to emancipate people in their minds, not just in their eternity, in their lives. And William Wallace just got a picture of that. He lived as a free man. In fact, uh, Later on in the movie, he dies on his deathbed. He's pinned to like a cross. You can see it in the movie yourself. And he's about to be decapitated. And, and all these people are praying mercy for him. And this religious man comes up with lies and says, you need to renounce. You need to repent. You need to beg for mercy. It was a, ter it was a terrible scene where they're trying to twist his mind, even at the very end, to get what they wanted. And his final breath. William Wallace yells before everybody in the entire crowd as he goes from this life to the next, freedom! And he said it louder than that, but I don't want to lose my voice and sound like Brian Adams in the third service. <laughs> but he, he, his whole life, fundamentally, he lived as a free man. And he's basically saying, better to not be the walking dead than to live as a free man every moment that you're alive. And many people... In this room, in many moments, minutes, months, sometimes even years if I accumulated them, I have not lived fully free and fully alive. And that's what this series is about. And I hope you guys are for that. It's a, see, we live in a world bound by sin we re, where people rely on everything and other things besides God. God was meant to be the one you depended on and relied on. And, 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 and yet... We don't realize sometimes or accept we're, not, we're in bondage is the word or slavery to certain things or we're not fully free. No, I'm not. I, I'm free. Well, that's what, the, that's what believers said to Jesus in John chapter 8. And he said, we're the sons of Abraham. How could you say we're not free? In that very moment, they were enslaved to the Romans. See, the thing is, we're deceived sometimes. We don't want to believe. We don't want to face the fact that there are areas in our life that we're not free. Yet, I would say to you, if you can't go to bed at night without alcohol, there's a certain level of bondage in your life. If you can't pray for five minutes without falling asleep, there's a certain amount of bondage in your life. There's a certain lack of freedom. Derek, if you can't have peace in the midst of traffic and you lose your cool, there's a certain amount of freedom that you're missing in your life. Is everybody with me? If you can't go 10 minutes without looking at your phone, you're in bondage. Okay? 
If you can't, I know so many women and so many men who can't live alone, and they go from one person to one person to one person, and God's trying to make you whole and complete and entire. That's just so, and you're in bondage. That's not going to meet your need. Your need is only met in him. If you can't get through a day without looking at pornography, you're in bondage. And if you have this unexplainable addiction to caramel macchiatos, you're in bondage. I'm going to get you somewhere in this room, all of you. Why? Why are there so many types of bondage being hurled at us? Because the enemy of your soul knows that the most powerful person on the planet is not the strongest. It's not the most wealthy. It's not the most famous. It's not the one who has uh, armies at his disposal. The most powerful, this is in your notes, your big idea. The most powerful person on the planet, I'm spitting up here so there's some Holy Ghost in this message. The most powerful person on the planet, it's all those P's, is a person who is set free by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. You live different when you're set free. You play by a different set of rules. You see the outcomes differently. You see the odds that are against you differently. You see the circumstances through a different lens because you're free. It's opportunity, not a problem. It's a relationship, not a restriction. Everything's different when you're a free person. And as a believer living like that, it's liberating to live like that. When you're not in need of someone's approval and you don't have a fear of man, but you have a holy fear of God, it's freeing. It's different. William Wallace, again, he just modeled this. But Jesus Christ was the best example of this of all. So I want to give you five characteristics of freedom super fast. This is to motivate you. Write this down if you're taking notes. And if you're not taking notes, as I haven't said in a long time, go ahead and take notes. Okay? The characteristics of free people is they are, I would say, ordinary without any supposed superpowers. But they can do what others can't do. Free people can do what others cannot do. Moses had a certain level of freedom, and that's why he was able to step into Pharaoh's court and say to an authority, let my people go, because he was submitted to a higher authority. Joshua was able, as a free man, to go into the promised land and at a later point in time say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I don't know what you're going to do, but we're going to serve the Lord. David was a free man, and really as a young man, Faced a giant that many of us would have run from or never even considered facing. And he said, you come at me, giant, with a sword and a spear. But I come to you with the authority that's in the name of the Lord of hosts. See, free people are different. The, the, three, uh, the three Hebrews that were thrown into the fire because they would not bow. Why? They were free. They wouldn't bow. Uh, Elijah, how did he stand before all the prophets of Baal and call down ultimately fire from heaven and later have the audacity to call rain down from heaven because he was free? Oh, I don't want to believe all that stuff anyway. That's just some cool stories in the Bible. Okay, well, our founding fathers in recent years were free men who said, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. And among these are life, look at this, freedom, and the pursuit of happiness. Abraham Lincoln, it was a free man. 
who confronted the evil of slavery without malice toward anyone and charity towards all. Martin Luther saw a world, saw a nation, believed one day we could all live as one nation where we would not be judged by the color of our skin, but the content of our character. And of course, Jesus Christ, the ultimate expression of freedom 2,000 years ago, hanging on the cross, freedom incarnate basically died so you and I could all be free today. Can we give the Lord a hand clap for that truth and for that reality? Amen. What I think happens sometimes is we forget. Sometimes we never knew in the first place. I think we don't realize the great news is that you can be free, not just from the consequence and penalty of your sin, but you can be free to live not in bondage to it. No ball and chain. You don't have to just get out of jail and go to heaven. You can get the jailbird out of you and live like heaven on earth. God wants that for you. Revelation 1.6 says you can be free from a life of sin. 2 Timothy 1.7 says you can be free from the torment of fear. Some people, they can't go away. They can't get on a plane and go on a vacation with their family or on a mission trip to a foreign land because of fear. That's bondage. God wants you free from that. That's not his plan for your life. Some people can't help other people because they're filled with condemnation and guilt about their past. And Romans 8.1 says you can be free from the sentence of condemnation on your soul. And so when you accept this and apprehend, I would say, devote yourself to this, your life will be progressively never the same again. It gets better and better like fine wine. See, but a lot, the Bible says those that are born of God do not make a practice or continue to sin. It's a progressive tense that is basically saying those that know who they are behave differently in what they do. In other words, right standing with God is what produces right behavior. The more you accept who you are in Christ, the better you behave and act like a Christian. Is this good preaching up in here? Or are you guys just, uh, I don't know, where you at? Where you at? What's going on? Talk to me once in a while, okay? So between now and heaven, now and then, is this journey that we're on. And so some of you, uh, you I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it, but I keep falling, I keep falling. Yeah, because you weren't meant to do it by yourself. Ecclesiastes tells us that. Two are better than one. Three, three-fold core is not easily broken. You are meant to be in community. And so this semester, this, our small group semester starts next week. You sign up and begin small groups next week. If that's not on your radar, so I don't have time for that. You can't afford not to if you want to be free because you need people going in the right direction, serving the same God in pursuit of freedom in order to be free. Can I have an amen? And so we have many freedom groups. I want, this is what I want to say as a pastor to those of you who consider me your pastor. I want you to at some point in this year, but I'd start now, to get into a freedom group. I want to create an epidemic that so many people sign up for freedom groups, we don't have enough groups or leaders for it. And then I'm going to put the pressure on my leaders privately. Okay, I'm just telling them, I'm, I'm getting it out so they all feel it. They're all going, whoa, I think they asked me, but I couldn't do it. Because, because we, I believe there's so many people, if they understood it, would really want it. But it is it, the freedom groups, not just what you hear here on Sunday. It's not just the vertical, it's the horizontal that brings about the true transformation in your life. Amen? And so I want you to become a fully devoted follower. But for that to happen, we've got to be in community. Number two, write this down. Freedom through the cross is both vertical and and horizontal. This interesting thing is a lot of times the cross 
is not really understood. And I, I, I'm tempted to talk a lot about the vertical, but I think sometimes it overshadows the horizontal benefits of the cross or the connection. It's interesting that this symbol, the cross, incorporates this balance for us. I don't think there's an, a symbol that does it better between the vertical and the horizontal. This simple symbol, really two pieces of wood crisscrossing each other, uh, uh, you can't get greater loyalty from Madison Avenue, from Hollywood, from a political party in any kind of branding campaign of fellowship that produces more faithful, multi-generational, multi-ethnic uh, allegiance to such a symbol like the cross. The cross is powerful. Not the wood, but the spirit uh, that is represented and is the spirit of Christ who got on that cross for us to represent forgiveness for all and to embrace both grace and truth in our lives. Amen? Amen. The cross is what um, um, we should look to for our freedom. And what it says to us, I think, it is often missed is we are called to be congruent Christians. We cannot just say, I'm okay, me and Papa Doc, me and God are okay, and it's not okay down here on the horizontal. God's like, no, 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 no. You can't say you love God and hate your brother. There's many scriptures that basically say this and this need to be congruent with each other to the extent that those are not reality is an issue of freedom. And that's why we, I, I, if I say I'm okay with God and me and Stacy are not good, the Bible says your prayers are hindered. Try again, son, because I ain't listening, right? So he created this within the symbol of the cross Something that should motivate us, not demotivate us, to want to know how or what does it take in order to be free. Is everybody with me? And so what Jesus did on the cross serves as a kind of a reminder, but also an antidote. A reminder of what congruency should be like, but also an antidote to the curse of sin. Now, sin, because of what happened on the cross, doesn't define me. Number three, free people are no longer Really free people are no longer defined by what you do. If you understand the cross, if you understand what Christ, the Lamb of God, did for you, then you realize it's not, it's not what you do anymore. Your salvation is not found in a what, it's found in a who. There is therefore now, you know, no, salvation is therefore found now in no other name but Jesus Christ, Acts 4.12. So we find our salvation in a who, and the who is Jesus Christ. You have to decide, are you defined by your past? Are you defined by your circumstances? Are you defined by your bank account, your township, or are you defined by your relationship? Are you defined by what the world says through Facebook, uh, Instagram, uh, Twitter, or are you defined by what God says. Because if you allow those things to continue to define you, I heard this quote, it says, today's complacency is tomorrow's captivity. If you continue to tolerate in complacency those mindsets, you can never be changed. Whatever you continue to tolerate, you will, you will never be changed in. I'm trying to create in you today something in your spirit that is intolerant of your current condition. 
Are you with me, church? I'm not going to be the same. I'm going to move from glory to glory. I'm going to move from this level to this level. Not that I'm better or looking down upon anybody else, but I should change more and more into his likeness. That is Jesus Christ. Is everybody with me? See, when you accept that you are not defined by what surrounds you, but by the spirit within you, then it's not your failures that define you. It's forgiveness that defines you. It's not what you did. It's what's already been done. It's not what happened or, or what awesome thing you did or, or, or some circumstance that, that just worked out for you. Sometimes I'm worried about people with success because success sometimes doesn't teach you anything. It can hurt you. It's sometimes failure that causes us to move forward. But sometimes failure, we assess it as a person and not an event. But God's saying, no, it's not your failures, it's forgiveness. No, if you're going through hell as a free person, the good news is you may be going through hell, but you're on your way to heaven. The good news is as a free person, you can go through hell and yet smell like heaven. In other words, God wanted you as an overcomer to be in this jacked up, messed up, cursed world that ultimately will be restored, refined, and, 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 and recreated. When that happens, great. But between now and then, we're to show a little bit of heaven on earth by how we act. We're to be uh, as Christ's ambassadors and his messengers and his representatives. We're supposed to look like him on the earth. And he did it for us. He already walked the high dive. Now we do what he did. Can I have an amen? amen? And so right now in these dark, challenging times, it behooves us not only to embrace kind of who I am, but to embrace who we are as a church as well. It's not just who I am. It's who are we as a church. I don't know if you think about that very much, but I have lately. I've thought to myself, you know, what do people think about Connect Church? Are we just another institution in society? Are we just another religious faith narrative competing with other uh, modern ideas, latest and modern ideas? Are we just some kind of a feel-good uh, apparatus that people lean on if they feel spiritually or emotionally impaired. That's what my daddy thought religion was, just a crutch. Meanwhile, when he was honest with himself and in private moments couldn't hold himself up emotionally, spiritually, or sometimes even physically. Are we an antiquated conduit for a group of irrelevant values and a group of people that are just trying to espouse these things that don't apply to today? Or are we something else? Who are we as a church? When you accept the great news, what the Bible says about us, when you accept what the Bible says about you, you should have a bold conviction, not only for yourself that you speak over yourself, but for your church. Can I have an amen? amen. I'd like to challenge you. Would you stand to your feet? I'd like to lead you in a confession. If you call this your home church, uh, uh, you don't have to stand, but uh, I'd like to lead you in a confession because I don't know the last time you spoke something out loud, but I think there's power in our corporate worship and there can be power in a corporate confession. So if you would, I'm going to lead you right from the word of God. Just repeat these things after me. Say, we are the light of the world. We are a city on a hill. We are the people of the word. We are salt and light. We are witnesses for Christ. We're children of a king. We're the fruit of an empty tomb and the product of an upper room. We are the redeemed of the Lord. 
We are the sheep of his pasture. We are forgiven. We are called and chosen. We are worshipers. We are world changers and history makers. And we don't go to Google before we go to God. And we won't go to the phone before we go to the throne. We don't trust in chariots and horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Because we are the church of Jesus Christ. And the gates of hell will not prevail against her. Come on, let's give the Lord a big praise for that. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Doesn't that feel good to have a confession as a church? Remind yourself who we are, not just who you are. And with respect to all nationalities and, and, and represented in, in all the different types of people that we have here, but also online as believers, not, we are not just black and white. We are not just Asian, Hispanic, Latino. We are not just Baptist, Lutheran, uh, Methodist, Pentecostal, charismatic, automatic. We are born again, blood-bought, blood-washed children of the living God. Can I have an amen? That's great news. I told you there was some good news today. Amen? And so if you've ever gone through, uh, if we're going to be overcomers, you have to recognize sometimes the storms you've been through. If you've ever been through kind of a storm in your life, would you raise your hand? Have you ever been through an overcome one? Good. Okay, if you've ever gone through a storm or problem and you over, overcome like two problems, big problems. Not, I'm not talking about like a migraine and a cold latte, okay? I'm talking about big problems. Anybody, if you've done, raise two hands, if that's you. Two hands, you, yeah, okay. All right, if you've gone through so many problems, you can't even count them, then I'd like you to raise two hands and raise your neighbor's leg. Just do that right now. That was you, okay? All right, that's a lot of you right there. How many, if you've gone through so many problems that if I Googled your name, the National Hurricane Society would come up and you would be in first place over Dorian. If that's you, okay. Nobody thought that was funny. I thought that was funny. Okay. See, you have to accept that when you become a Christ follower, you become a part of this overcoming life that you're called to. When you become a Christ follower, you immediately become a card-carrying member of the no weapon formed against me. Greater is he who is in me. If God be for me, who can be against me overcoming club? That's what you're a part of. I want to educate you that that's what's coming, okay? Have you joined that club? Now, some of you say, I joined the club. Yes, but you're like me when I got my AAA membership renewed for the 11th year. I never knew all the benefits. <laughs> the first time this year I pulled the thing up, I'm like, are you kidding me right now? you got to be kidding me. I, I've got, I, I bought it for all my kids for years, and I've been cashing in on any of those benefits. Many people are living their Christian lives, part of the membership, but not experiencing the privileges and benefits of what it means to be a part of the children of God, the army of God, the freedom group of God. Amen? Write this down if you're taking notes. Um, uh, free people realize you have to go through in order to get to. You have to go through in order to get to. You have to, there's a promise, but there's always going to be a problem before you get to the provision. And we just don't like problems. Anybody here like problems? Everybody hates problems. You know, before my sabbatical, there were so many problems before my sabbatical. I think I felt them more. They weren't necessarily more, but I was feeling them more. I mean, I started picking up my phone. I'm like, forget saying fry residence. I was just like, you know, crisis center. 
You know what I mean? Like, it was just, I knew on the other line it was going to be a problem. Problem, problem, problem. And it was getting me down. It was getting me, getting my dauber down. I mean, I'm in a, a virtual small group, and I and had this guy, his name's Luke, and he says, he, says uh, he calls me Pastor Derek. I'm like, just call me Derek because we're just in a group. And he says, have you noticed how things keep getting worse? I mean, since we've been meeting, things are getting worse. I was hoping for a reprieve from all of this. <laughs> First of all, I was like, I didn't know how to take that. But secondly, I said, I told him, buddy, Luke, you need to get over that. Here's my advice. Things are going to get worse. He goes, thanks a lot. Could you be more positive? I said, I'm positive. Things are going to get worse. <laughs> See, some, some of us don't want to accept when you're part of the Overcomers Club and you're in this world until ultimate uh, reconciliation takes place and God restores everything back to zero. Until that happens, it's going to get worse. So you have to understand this reality that you're going to have to go through some things to get to some things. But if you embrace the character, you read Romans 5 on your own, but if you embrace that, there's a benefit that comes out of this. People who realize, in this, realize this in the Bible, there was always reward on the other side. Joseph said after coming from the pit all the way to the palace in Genesis 39, 50, he said, am I not in the place of God? In other words, back there, it stunk. It was terrible. But now, I look back, and I, I got out of the pit, and I, and I, and I, and I got out of the, the prison, and, 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 and then I got out of Potiphar's house, and, and here I am now in the palace because I'm in the place of God because I realized I was called to be an overcomer. Amen? So, PD, you're saying that if I accept what Jesus did for me, I'm going to have a lot of problems. Yes, you started to get it a point now. Okay? So the Bible says in Revelation 12, 11, this is kind of our theme text, and i got to accelerate this, this reality, this revelation. But it says, there's kind of three things you want to see in this. It says, they, believers, overcame him, Satan, by the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony, and they love not their lives unto death. So these believers, by the way, were not testifying to other believers in a small group. So when you see that word testimony, it's not we're just sharing cool stories, we kumbaya stories in a small group. No, no, no. That testimony was to the enemy. So when you face, and you should face, your enemy face-to-face -face sometimes in battle, because by the way, we're in a spiritual battle. Oh, man, I could just go off on this. You know, somewhere between... Uh, you know, the third heaven and the first heaven. By the way, that means it must be a second heaven. The Bible actually uses this term third heaven. That's when you're in the presence of God. First heaven is the physical realm in which we're in right now. But then there's this second heaven where all these principalities and rulers of darkness, and the Bible talks about this in Ephesians 6 and other places. There's, we don't wage war as the world does. There's a spiritual battle that's taking place in heavenly realms, speaking of this second realm. And while that battle is taking place between you and I, we're, that's where we face our enemy with the blood of the Lamb, the word of God and our testimony. Is everybody with me? Are you, are you tracking so far right now? Okay. So there's this weapon that God wants you to exercise, but you have to understand these three words. Now, before I give you them, let me flesh it out with a story. Years ago, my daddy, I, I, I got to do this fast. So you're going to all, you all checked in? So my dad, before he was a Christian, was an atheist, wife beating, camel smoking, bourbon drinking, angry, two-fisted atheist who met Jesus. Only Jesus can change somebody. Who is that kind of person? I saw it. It was a real deal. Changed my life, too. 
But I can remember that before he came to faith, he would look at people of faith and say, well, that's just a crutch for weak-willed people. But when he was by himself alone and he faced himself in the mirror of life, so to speak, he realized he couldn't overcome many problems, depression, purposelessness, lust, pride, anger and rage, all these things. He needed something else. And so he was desperate for God. So he not only needed God's eternal security, he needed God's help in the here and now. And so he began to study the promises of God, and he saw the power that comes through the blood of Jesus was made available not just for this, but for this. And so he started studying, and he started applying it in our family life. And so every time... It seemed like some big decision or event or something I was getting ready to do, whether he knew what I was going to do or it was announced, my dad, it seemed uncanny. I can't tell you how many times this happened. I'll highlight a couple. He'd say, Derek, I want to pray for you. Come here, son. Okay, dad, coming in. Of course, it was always awkward because we had devotions in the morning. Some of you don't know what that means, but we were just having like morning time Bible reading and stuff. Before we went off to school, my dad did it every day of my life until I was like in middle school. That's incredible. Like, you never hear about that, ever. You think it might have something to do with my life? I think so. But anyway, while we're having devotions, the kids in the neighborhood liked me and my father and family, and they wanted to walk with me down to school, but really they wanted to sneak in on that experience. And so they would be down on the landing where my dad's speaking from the word of God, a little extra loud for the listeners. (laughs) And so he said, before you go, son, I want to pray for you. I said, okay. And on top of the stairs, my friend's down there. I'm kind of like, oh, boy. He goes, he goes I, want, I want to pray for you. And he puts his hand on my head and his hand on my shoulder. And he says, Heavenly Father, cover my son with the precious blood of Jesus. I pray that you protect him from all evil. And may the promises and plans of God be fulfilled in his life in Jesus' name. And then he sent me off. And I walk off. I'm like, awkward. <laughs> Hi, guys. They're looking at me like, what was that? I'm like, ah, can we talk about it later? Anyway, skip ahead years later. Don't know the effect of that. 17 years old, I get the greatest gift any son could ever get on his birthday. My dad gives me a new car. It wasn't a new car, but it was a used car. <laughs> he promoted it like it was a new car. But it was a 1979 Volkswagen Scirocco, black, premium sound, sport wheels, a little bit of thin on the back, five on the floor, because he taught me how to drive stick when I was like nine. And I'm so excited. I'm like, you're the greatest father in the world. Cool. You're going to be able to drive this to school. I was awesome. Go to bed that night. Couldn't sleep. Next day, wake up. I'm looking for the keys because I cannot. I want to be to school early for the first time in my entire life. <laughs> Can't find the keys. All of a sudden, I go to the kitchen, and I, can, I see them dangling his hand. I'm like, Dad, you're the greatest. And he goes, oh. He goes, wait a second. I go, Dad, have I told you how much I love you? (laughs) I mean, who would do? I mean, the insurance alone. I'm not going to be able to drive the car, am I? And he's like, no, no, I'm going to let you drive the car. But first, I want to pray for you. Put his hand on my head. Put his hand on my shoulder. He said, Heavenly Father, cover Derek with the precious blood of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you keep him from all evil, protect him from all evil and all harm. May no injury, accident, provocation come his way and fulfill your purposes in his life in Jesus' name. Skip ahead. I'm 21 years old. I'm in college. 
I'm coming back to my dorm room. I'm a thousand miles away from my parents. I'm going because I want to get a message from some girls that I'm hoping to connect with later with a couple of guys. And we don't have the best plans that night, but it's going to be fun. Beep. Son, it's your father. I want to pray for you. Put your hand on your head and on your shoulder. <sighs> Heavenly Father, I plead the blood of Jesus over my son, and I pray that you keep him from all evil, protect him from all harm, from all ungodly choices. And Lord, <laughs> fulfill your purposes in his life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Dad, for ruining my night. <laughs> Skip ahead years later. I'm driving down Cedar Street in Ashland, and I'm thanking God. I'm just, you know, I'm on my sabbatical, and I'm having these moments with him, and it's just so awesome. And I'm just like, God, why did I, how did I get this life? I don't deserve this life. How did this, how did this happen, you know, where I'd be in a situation where, you know, I had a lot of problems. There's been difficulties. There's been challenges. But, like, you've always turned them out for good. You know, you, you did a work in our marriage. You've done a work in my kid's life. You, you've, you, you've blessed our church. A lot of people, a lot, a lot of people give up, splits, problems, issues. Lord, you just blessed me. Uh, why, how have I been shielded from so many of these things? And in that moment, a still small voice came over me and said, because you had a praying father who understood the power that is in the Lamb of God and his shed blood for you. And he applied it to himself, and he applied it to you. And maybe that's why you're so blessed. Well, now I have four kids. And I've learned a few things through that experience. And so when my kids were young, my son can testify to this. My girls at different times, I can't tell how many times over the younger years of their life, something be getting ready to happen, something be getting ready to go on. And I go, David, I want to pray for you. <laughs> and I'd lay my hands on my son and on his head and on his shoulder. And I'd say, Heavenly Father, I pronounce and plead the precious blood of Jesus over my son's life. Protect him from evil, keep him from all harm, help him to make godly choices, fulfill your purposes in his life. And he's living a purpose-filled life. This principle is like a genetic virus if you catch it. Because now I have grandchildren. <laughs> Just last night, I had my grandson by myself. I covet moments with my grandkids alone. And it's a study night, and, and I, I, I'll sacrifice, like, food you know, sleep, you know, best prime time to be with my grandson. And I'm with my grandson, Zion, and we're watching the dumbest movie in the world. And he's just sitting in my lap, and I don't care about the movie. I just, you know, just love being with him. He's so sweet. He's actually rubbing my hand like this. He's rubbing my hand. And I put my hand on his head, and the Spirit of God just came over me, and I just said, Heavenly Father, I plead the precious blood of Jesus over my grandson, over his life. Protect him from all evil. Fulfill your purposes in his life. In Jesus' name. Here's my fifth point. Free people know and exercise the power of the blood of Jesus. It's like an atomic bomb to Satan. And here's what happens, and I'll go back to this principle. See, when you, in the Old Testament, Exodus, are you guys getting something out of this? 
I'm giving you a picture, now I'm giving you the theology. In the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 12, that's, I'm not going to do all these scriptures because I have to do them fast. You see the story of the Passover. That's a picture of what we receive in the New Testament. So we were all under a curse. Uh, we would all suffer for that. God sends a deliverer, sets us free. And through the blood here in this life, not only are we getting out of Egypt, but we have power to overcome the destruction of life. And so God sent this destroyer that was going to come over all of Egypt. But if his people would put blood on the doorposts and on, and on the lentil, it would create like a cross, doorpost and the lentil, not on the threshing floor because we never walk on the blood because it's precious. We never trample the blood, according to Hebrews. But if that was there, then God would see it and he would pass over the destroyer. No harm would come to those people because of the blood. See, the blood is so powerful, but it's not being applied to your house. Your house in the Old Testament, in, in, in the New Testament sense, analogous to your address, your location, your situation. For you to have the power that comes from the blood of Jesus. See, if those people in the Old Testament took the blood from the lamb that was sacrificed, it would go into a basin. They would get every single drop of that blood. If that blood stayed in the basin in that house and was not applied to the door, the destroyer would harm them. Is everybody with me? They would still fall under destruction. Oh, but, but they were children of God. Oh, but they had the blood. Yes, but they didn't apply it to the location, to the situation, to the address. Is everybody with me right now? It's coming. It's going to all pop in just a second, so get ready, okay? So what happens is for a lot of us, we are not free and we are not overcoming in this life because we know who we are in Christ. We're in the house, or you can say in a New Testament sense, we're in Christ. Uh, we understand that Jesus ransomed his life and his blood was shed for us. We have the blood in a basin in the house, but we don't know how to apply it to our situation, our location, our address. How do we do that? Well, in the Old Testament sense, it was hyssop. Hyssop was just this precious herb. It's all over the Mediterranean. And they would take this little hyssop branch, put it in the basin, and they would apply it to the door. Okay? So what transferred the blood from the basin to the door? What transferred it? Hyssop. In Revelation 12, 11, here we go. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Blood, word, testimony. So we already know the, the blood of Jesus was ransomed for our salvation. We already know is the word or the promises of God. What's the testimony? The testimony is hyssop. You personalize what the word says the blood does. And the power is when you personalize what the word says the blood does and you put it on your finances and you put it on your uh, family and you put it on your marriage and you put it on your circumstances, your sickness, whatever is opposing you and you apply the word, you personalize it to your situation, that is your testimony and you overcome. You can't live, if you live with that basin in your house, in Christ, you will continue to suffer. There's power in the blood that is exercised and applied to your life and to your situation. Stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. We're going to do it right now in Jesus' name. You guys getting something out of this? I went a little over today, but I've been, I've been all caged up for about nine weeks. So that's what happens, okay? 
I want you to put your hand on your heart and your hand on your head. Hallelujah. Lord, it's a little weird, but like a spiritual father, as your under-shepherd, I pray a general prayer over every single person in this room. Heavenly Father, <laughs> I pray that you would cover these people with the blood of Jesus, the precious, efficacious, perfect blood of Jesus. Life is in the blood. The life that they deserve, the life that you have for them, the life that you want for them is in the blood of Jesus. I apply that by faith right now to every single person. Lord, protect them from evil, from temptation. Deliver them from all harm, injury, and accident. Lord, because they're part of this spiritual family, they are covered and they are protected, Lord God. And I pray that you fulfill the purpose of God in their life, the thing that they were called and destined to do, that my daddy spoke over me, and I spoke over my son and my grandson. Lord, you speak over them right now that you have a plan and a purpose for their life, and they can't see it or have it until they're free. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that in the coming weeks, they would become ever increasingly more hungry for that freedom. They'd have an intolerance for living the same way. Lord God, they would walk and live and move and breathe in relationship with you, and they find total and complete freedom. And I thank you, Lord, for the blood and the power that's in the blood, and we receive it by faith in Jesus' name. Now you can put your hands down, your eyes closed. If you're here today and you've never, you've never accepted what Jesus did for you, you're in this unusual service, but yet somehow, some way, God is knocking on the door of your heart. He's, he's tapping. Listen, sir, ma'am, boy or girl, I've been there. Many people in this room have been there. Don't resist the Holy Spirit. There's no promise of tomorrow that you can have that opportunity again. Freedom from your sin and life everlasting is right in front of you if you would but seize it. All I'm asking you to do is let me lead you in a confession and in a prayer. But first, I'm going to ask you in faith to raise your hand and say, that's me. Just raise your hand and say, that's me, Pastor. I don't want to leave. I don't want to go another day without that certainty. God bless you. God bless you. Yes, sir. God bless you in the front there. Anybody else? Good night. I said, I don't miss you. Thank you all the way. Be courageous. Thank you, sir. God bless you. Thank you in the back there. God bless you. So awesome. So awesome. Thank you for your courage. You can put your hands down now. Would you, church, would you join these people and pray with them? Say, thank you, Jesus, that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. I pray that you set these people free, set me free from the penalty of sin because of what Jesus did for me on Calvary 2,000 years ago. I receive... By grace through faith, salvation for me, and I will never, never, ever be the same again in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand clap for his word.